0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I am in Salt Lake City via Zoom with my friend, Yese Wilson, who is calling in, Zooming in from Hawaii. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Aloha. Glad to be here.
0: Will you share with our listeners how to spell and say your name so we get it right?
1: Yeah, uh, it's three vowels in one consonant. It's I-E-S-E, and it's pronounced Yese.
0: And um, I think we can all get Wilson right. Yeah,
1: yeah, just like the, just like the ball.
0: So I'm going to call you Yese for the podcast, and I'm um, hopeful that's pretty close. Um, listeners, this is a man that I have met um, a couple times with, or we've exchanged a lot of messages. He's a gay Latter-day Saint at BYU-Hawaii. And is going to share his story not only as a gay Latter Day Saint, but also what work he's done at BYU Hawaii. It's really the first time at BYU Hawaii is um, they are talking about this topic there and having firesides and more understanding. And ESA has been really the lead on this, and is um, I would call him very much of a trailblazer. And I think we'll look back in ten or twenty or thirty years at BYU Hawaii and say, where did this all start? Where did support for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and we'll probably point back to the year 20 and 21 and the work you and others have done. So our hope is this podcast will be helpful for you if you're trying to also do um, anything to support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in your area of influence. And also if you're LGBTQ, closet or uncloset, the things that YSA says will be helpful for you. As he's been following personal revelation, not only to come out, but then to do the things that he's doing. And neither of those really have much of an owner's manual and a lot of people that have gone ahead of you. So a lot of you may feel the same way, um, but perhaps there's some principles here and some insights that will help you as you're making your way forward. This is a unique podcast. Um, Will you tell us a little bit about your cultural heritage? This will be part of the story, but go ahead and tell us about your cultural heritage.
1: Yeah, I'm very unique in that aspect. Um, I am the embodiment of BYU-Hawaii's population. Um, uh, In Hawaii, they would call me a mixed plate. I am Samoan with a little bit of Scottish on my dad's side. That's why my last name is Wilson. And my mom is Hawaiian-Filipino. And my dad was first-generation America. His parents come from Samoa, my grandparents. And then my mom was born and raised in Hilo with that local Hawaiian culture. And so I got a mix of that growing up um, in uh, Orange and Santa Ana, California.
0: And um, tell our listeners where you served your mission.
1: I served at, from 2013 to 2015 in the New Zealand Auckland Mission, Samoan speaking, which I did not know uh, growing up in with my Samoans said I had to learn the language. I only knew the words for food and uh, um, words for speaking.
0: Share with our listeners um, what got you to Hawaii, because um, you grew up in Orange County on the West Coast of the United States, and tell our listeners what got you to Hawaii and and you're graduating in April of 2020. Share with our listeners what you're graduating in.
1: Okay. Um, so what got me to Hawaii was revelation. God told me to, to pick up and go. And I moved in with my grandparents. And then a year later, I and I was I felt led to go to BYU-Hawaii, where I'm majoring in music. I'm graduating this semester with um, um, a bachelor's in general music with an emphasis in conducting, and as well as a teaching credential. I'm doing student teaching.
0: Uh, right now yeah that's um we're recording this listeners in january so i'm just a little um envious that yese is there in hilo hawaii or uh, not really hilo sorry you're on oahu yeah
1: um
0: at byu hawaii um talk with our listeners i'd love to just have you um in this part one is just we're going to do this a- Instead of listeners, I mean, having yes, they do his coming out story. We're going to start with what he's done at BYU Hawaii. So he's out at this point. He's felt impressed to come out. Um, you gave a church talk in t- October of 2019, but I'd love you to talk about just um, in this first section, just BYU Hawaii. Let's call this BYU Hawaii in the ministry. BYU Hawaii in the ministry. That
1: that's honestly. It's been a total revelatory process, not necessarily like God's always been talking to me, but like things have happened along the way that just I couldn't have planned. So after that initial coming out to talk in October 2019, that's after I came out to my family a little bit, um, people started uh, coming out to me. And a little bit before that, I found out that I had one of my uh, five roommates was closeted. And then all of a sudden, people just start coming out to me and I start realizing that this is just a big deal i'm I'm not alone and there's i just could feel that the number is so much higher than I could have imagined and so i i i I'll talk about this later but uh, i i i felt I have a responsibility and a calling and you know president monson whom god calls God qualifies um to to use the skill sets that I've been blessed with to um to advocate. And so, um, we got a new president, uh, at BYU Hawaii president Keoni Calway, the third, and, um, he's Hawaiian as well. And so I reached out to him, um, via social media or or email. I can't recall, but, um, I was like, Hey, I'm like you, I'm Hawaiian, but, um, I'm LGBTQ. I'm, I'm, I'm gay. And, um, and you know what I have talked to over, because it's hold over a hundred of your students, and I'd love to let you know where your students are at. Um, so you have an idea of, of what you're coming into. And I wanted to get in early because um he wants, he wants to be a good president, and he and so um I wanted to get in early, and so he had only been in for a couple months, and um, so I and so he's like, sure, I'd love to meet you. May I bring my vice president over um student uh student life in? and i um John Cow. And I'm like. Absolutely. Sure. I'd love to have him there. And so this is obviously during the COVID era. And so we met online for a little, for about a half hour. And I had uh, a document called, um, what do they call it? Um, stories from BYUH's closet. And I, and I, and I had a series of, of, pe- of just um, people. So, and first initial, what country they're from and what their unique stories are. And these stories came from all over the world Indonesia, Philippines, Hong Kong, Japan, Thailand, Fiji, Samoa, you name it. And um and so I just told them like this is what's going on. And I, I told them like this, I even asked some of them I'm, like, hey, what are your fears and what uh what would you like to see at BYU Hawaii? And so I I gave those suggestions and and uh I gotta say um President kawe and um Vice President Cao, they just sat there and listened must much, much like yourself. Um, uncle richard like but they just they just sat and they they listened to me just go off and they would ask um understanding questions they want to make sure that they understood and by the end of it uh president Cowie was in tears uh, just grateful for the ministry he, he recognized that it was a ministry and um and so uh, after that i would have a series of meetings with uh uh vice president cow and just um talking things further and um and then I met with some church leaders here. I'm very blessed to know that the state president here is related to me through marriage. His, his wife is my dad's uh, first or second cousin. And so uh, Kingsley IU is, uh, and he has a gay son. And uh, he he wanted to make some things happen. And I had a great bishop, uh, John Hughes, who we put a, together a fireside. Uh, it took months of working it out with the Macintosh family, and getting schedules and getting approvals, but we eventually had that first fireside here, and it was packed. We it wasn't advertised very well, but it went and filled the whole stake center all the way back to the back of the basketball courts, and um, it was it was a marvelous evening. And and so yeah, those are something. Oh, and I forgot to mention that uh, um, Uncle Richard Richard Osler here helped me out a great deal by um, helping me with some books. He donated a certain amount of books to to me, and they are now in the hand. Listen and love book is in the hands of President Cowway, Vice President Cali, some secretaries, some staff, and some herding closeted uh, students. In that. And so I've, I've, um, I want to say it was about 20 books it, and they've all been given out, and they're, they're doing God's work here in BYU, Hawaii. And so, yeah, that's just a little bit of a snapshot of some of the things that I did out here.
0: So listeners, that's pretty remarkable if we just kind of step back and recognize what you've done that you felt impressed to reach out to the president of BYU Hawaii um, via email or social media and he felt willing to meet you and wanted to have I, uh, I think the vice president of of student relations I'm not saying that right um, come meet you and then they just listen and you you not only shared your story but you were thoughtful enough and this is you're kind of an ally plus walking your own road as a gay Latter-day Saint. You felt impressed to bring stories of others to that meeting. And then, you know, that—and I love what you said that they both did. They just listened and had compassion and empathy and wept, and it just opened their hearts. Perhaps like it's opened other allies' hearts. And then um, you connected with your bishop and stick present. And um, came out to them, and that's been a positive experience. And then you all seem to decide, what can we do? And you got the MacIntoshes, Scott and Becky McIntosh, to come out. And um, it sounds like that filled an entire stake center. And I recognize that local Latter-day Saints want to talk about this subject. They have really good hearts, and they want to have better skills to support, administer, and have compassion for our own people that are LGBTQ. And I would guess there were closeted people at that fireside. You might have known the, who those were, but it was probably really helpful for them to come to a meeting where we're talking directly to them as needed members of the body of Christ. So that in itself is just a whole amazing thing that happened that's never happened, I'm aware, at another church school in that way. There's some good things happening in BOU Provo, but I think what you've done can be scaled to other church schools to other congregations um no one changed doctrine um to do that we just are developing better tools to to minister to lgbtq latter-day saints other thoughts that come to your mind that you want listeners to know were you discouraged at times or what advice would you give to others that are trying to do something in their circle of influence? Um
1: one of the things that, because I I feel personally called to do this, if this is really God's work, he's going to make it happen. Um, the, I just, you just got to reach out and see what happens and just keep on going. I, I'm not, do I feel discouraged? Uh, if I'm being honest with you, I'm sure you've, you felt this too, Uncle Richard, then that is that I have, I have being in the middle between the, the that crevice between the LGBTQ community and, um, the faith community is I have I have had received some malicious attacks from uh, some members of the LGBT community but and, and um, well-meaning we're, we're all trying to work on the same cause and build bridges and um, sometimes that took them uh, attacking my knees to for them to build a bridge <laughs> but um, but we're here for the same cause and it's for our people and so I've definitely felt the discouragement. But like I said, if this is if this truly is God's work, if this really is a ministry, then it will be sanctioned by by God. And and you know, um, He's helped me uh, a great deal. And what what fuels me, I'll, I'll say this: with each new story that I hear, gives me fuel to keep going. Um, which is, I'm sure, is what your podcast does for so many people. Is when you hear. These people who have these stories that will never be told outside, I may be the only person they ever tell in their lifetime. Who knows? It fuels me to make sure that they, they get the representation and that their voice is heard, that their problems are heard. And so I was able to, I was even able to, oh, let me tell you this. I bumped into... Steve Sandberg, uh, who is on the president's council at BYU, he was just visiting. I bumped into him at the grocery store and he's like, Hey, I recognize you from one of the articles that was written about you at BYU Hawaii about the LGBT community. Let's get together and talk. I'm like, sure. And so I, so I got to tell him that. So that just, just an example right there is like, if this really is God's um, work, then he will make it happen. Um, um Oh, Richard, can I take a, uh, a moment to share a little bit about some of those stories that I've heard? I'd
0: love you to do that. And I, and I love listeners. Um, yes. I just referenced an article we'll link to in the show notes, but just say a little bit more about that article. Um, it's a newspaper article, I think from September at BYU Hawaii that talked about you and your story, but um, talk just a little bit about that. Steve Sandberg is doing great work at at BYU, and I think it's not by coincidence you met him, and and then yes, please share some of these stories.
1: Um, right, where where, where, where do I start? Um, the mag,
0: yeah, tell us about the magazine article.
1: The magazine article, yeah, Um, a friend of my mine, a friend of mine uh, that made Abby Putnam. She was at that fireside, and she was like this this needs to be heard. This story needs to be heard. And, um, and so she wrote this very gracious article that, that, you know, for those who have been interviewed by media before you, you don't typically get to work with them and tell you what, tell them what you want and, and or look over what they're said. But she, she embodied everything that, that I've, I've done here and, 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 t- and talked about the genuine struggles and the options that we have. And, it's a it's a fantastic article. I'm very grateful. I never thought there would ever be an article written about me, but um, but I'm very grateful that she did that. I'll I'll just leave you in suspense and uh, check that out in the in the notes. So but, this um, is
0: an official. This is the official um, BYU Hawaii magazine. It's published yes. like every month, and your story's in it.
1: Yeah, with this massive picture of my face, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, and and she gave me a good like five pages out of maybe six. It was a, it was a lot, and uh, I'm very grateful for for her. Yeah, that was the Kealika'i, uh newspaper or magazine.
0: Way to go, Abby. So now tell us some of these stories.
1: All right. So let me just be fair and give a, a little bit of a trigger warning uh, to this. The, the the I'm going to talk about some things like rape and a bit things of that nature. But I what I want to share is i um, i'm very I'm, I'm very close with many people of the very conservative uh, commu- uh, political community and one of the things I, I, I hear is that that this is a, a white issue like like the, the um what is that called? And the concept of victimization, white people don't have victimization, but now we have the LGBT community. It gives white people a chance to be victimized. Like, and I, I just really want to bring up this idea that this is not a, a white issue. This is not a white church issue. This, we are a worldwide church. And here at byu Hawaii, I've had the very, very unique privilege of hearing those stories from all these different countries um, let me share with you some of them, them that I've heard. This is a very common one that's from Southeast Asia is they've, they've told me, yes, the, my plan right now, it's looking like I'm after graduation. Um, we are expected to return to the Philippines or Thailand and be church leaders. That's what happens when you go to America or to a BYU, you come back and you are going to be a bishop's stake president. It's just you obviously got to be married first, but that's the expectation. But if I come out, come home and I'm come out as gay, uh, I will not only be bullied, but my family will be bullied by the the their people, the neighbors, the the members of the church. It's just that's just naturally what's going to happen. And so when you think about places like 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 Philippines or Samoa, Tonga, we have village mentality. And so this concept of running away from our families is very, very foreign to us. We don't do that. And so some of them have to, or are looking at the option of running away to avoid um, bringing shame to their family and pain to their family. And so that's, that's one of the more common stories I've heard. I've heard, uh, once again, going back to the trigger warning, there's, there's, some have been raped by their companions, siblings, adults. And those are, those are hard every time. I, heard, I just heard another one yesterday. <laughs> and it, it doesn't get any easier to, to love about it because that has not been my experience, friends. I, have, I am so blessed and so lucky and so privileged to have not had that happen to me. But that it's in, in too many of the stories that I've heard. Um, uh, one particular story that stood out to me is there's one who had a grandfather had two murder attempts on him uh, because he was a feminine grandchild. And so the grandfather just decided, you know, while walking one day to push him off a cliff and hospitalizing him for two months and uh, survived. And and, and, uh, sometime later, he went for the second attempt, but when he was about to kill his um, grandson, the the grandmother stepped in and struck the grandfather's head and would eventually kill the grandfather. And the tragic Crazy story. I think he was like a drug dealer or something, but um, but this grandchild, although openly gay and from uh, Southeast Asia, is the spiritual backbone of his family. It, it, it's it's striking to me that with all a tragedy that that strong that to this day this 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 person is such a, an inspiration to his family, the light. Um, and then there's. Another student, this is one about testimony. There's one from Thailand. He was dating a man in the American South went during a break. And uh and he stood up to his boyfriend's family, uh, in the Bible belt. They're like, were they in South Carolina? I can't recall. And and he stood up to his boyfriend's family about like Joseph Smith being a prophet of God because they thought like, they could take a jab at Joseph Smith because he's a gay Latter-day Saint. Of course, he probably hates the church. And so let's let's see if we can get him. He's like, No, Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. And like, why, why aren't we hearing these stories the, of how brave the, they are that the, one of the things that gets under my skin every time is people who will put me and my brothers and sisters at odds with God that oh because you must either be gay or with God like how about both <laughs> because that's honestly the the reality of so many of us and um and we we would love to wear both the LGBT hat and the, our faith hat. Um, But, and I I know you have your book coming out about culture, but like culturally there, people are driving us uh, apart. They're trying to say that we cannot, but we are, there's so many of us that are trying and trying to figure that out. So that's just a, just a little snapshot of some of the stories that we heard uh, that I've heard um, here at BYU Hawaii.
0: Thanks for being there. To hear these stories, there's probably no one that could hear these stories except you at this point, and I'm sure you are the receiver of a one-time story that some of these people have never told anybody and may never tell anybody again. But just to know they're not alone, and you can sit with them in that story, and they can unload that to you—a safe, trusted person—is a gift. It's pure Jesus ministry. <laughs>
1: Um If I can just add one more thing that I've, I've taken a note from you, Uncle Richard, and that that is your, your I, I think it's such an iconic line is like help me understand what you're going through. Uh, I, I, I've heard you say it, and I use it all the time, and then they just they just let loose and and they can feel and, and I, your podcast has been so instrumental for me as a, as a backbone of, of how to navigate this space, even though I am gay, I, I still need the tact. And so this ability to to love them, no matter like, if you want to stay active in the church, let's talk about strategies of how we stay active in church. Let's talk about how you organize your thoughts in your mind. Let's go. I, I want to feel where how you perceive the world, and then. But if you are on your way out, hey, no judgment from me. I would love to have you as a living friend than to lose you. I I I want you to know that there's nothing that you can do to, to quote um Tom Christofferson. There's nothing that you can do to fall outside the or your my love for you is based on um your repentance or anything like that, I will love you through all of this. That was a very terrible quote, but you get the idea um, but but so they they feel that, and so I've got to say that I, I've learned that from from this podcast so,
0: yeah well, you're very kind um if those you know if your friends are listening, closeted people are connected to this episode in your circle. Um, we both just send you our love. Um, some of you, i you've opened my eyes a little bit to how difficult it is to be in different countries and LGBTQ and the culture, um, the bullying that occurs um, within families, within cultures, within church communities. Um, I just recognize you're helping me understand that being LGBTQ and LDS, um, is very different from family to family and from country to country, from culture to culture. And we have a lot of work to do. And you're seeing that firsthand. And
1: I've, I've had one of them, I've had to get called out by one, like one of them from the Philippines is like, you are, you may be gay, but you, you don't know what I went through because yes, you are what I would call straight passing. You have not, you don't, you don't, show as much femininity as i do and so you've not had to go through the bullying that i have had to go through in my life and i had to just take a step back and like like you I'm just like oh wow i'm i'm really learning here there, there's there's so many things that i have to learn about about these cultures
0: we have a son that's um served a mission in a polynesian country and i'm not trying to take on polynesian countries or any culture in particular but you know we talked about this issue a little bit, and. Um, he's straight and I he said, dad, you just couldn't be gay in this country. Um, culturally, if you were gay, you just couldn't be gay. There's no space to be gay in this country. And it was kind of eye-opening to me, um, just to hear him say that, you know, you just, and you would understand what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, Um, you, you can, that is such a big point. I have a friend in Jamaica, uh, from Jamaica and like, it's still technically against the law to be, to do things of a of a homosexual nature uh, on the whole spectrum and so like that's not even an option i have a friend from tonga here uh who would tell me like yeah i you know honestly sometimes like I, I I'm attracted to guys and sometimes we would do some naughty things together and with people's like women's husbands and, and like that's and that's just this nasty cycle of just traveling around in that toxic culture of, of, of just like this hooking up with people's husbands. But what's interesting about this is that I'm like, well, what like here in America, we kind of, you see that some people pass, pass through a hookup culture and then they realize I want to settle down. I actually want a real tangible relationship. I asked him, what does that look like for you? He's like, there is no option in Tonga, just like you're, you're saying, um, uncle Richard, like there is no option for that. Uh, in, in Polynesian cultures, you could do, if you're a more feminine male in Samoa, Sa- Sa- it's called a finge in Tonga, it's called a Fakalaiti in Hawaii, it's called Mahu. Um, they, they, they can, do feminine roles of chores and things like that. But as far as relationship in the, in these countries, like absolutely not. And then you, let me throw Indonesia in there. I've got a friend from Indonesia, which is an Islam uh, country. And so this individual is here at BYU Hawaii and is now being exposed to this concept of being gay. These are not things that were even allowed to be thought culturally, not just religiously, but like culturally of the country, that there's just so many things that we can't even understand, which is why these conversations are so behind in these countries. And when they come to BYU Hawaii, even though it's a a church school, this is like these leaps and bounds ahead. And and now with these conversations that, that we've had with the BYU what and the fireside and things like that, we have just we're we're putting them in some really interesting, giving them some really interesting. What's the word? Exposure to to thoughts that are foreign.
0: Is BYU Hawaii culture, and it's hard to measure this compared to other church schools' culture. Embrace diversity easier, or is it more a part of the culture just because there's more ethnic diversity at BYU Hawaii? And then does this issue become easier? Is there? I mean, I realize. You don't have a perfect view of all church school cultures, but I've just hypothesized because the experience you're having at BYU-Hawaii, what I've sort of picked up is just this embracing of diversity that comes organically, just on the origins of BYU-Hawaii.
1: Yes. Absolutely. And that is something that president Cowie is really big on and he has made posts about this and even looping in some posts about the LGBT community, um, and even standing up to uh, for us in the comments. Uh, and that is that, um, unity through diversity is, is a big theme of his, I, I prefer the term harmony through diversity. I learned this from my friend Wallace. He's like, scientifically unity, you have to change everything to become the same for, um, it to 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 become one, but I I, I told him I prefer the word harmony because harmony. You could be a tenor, a bass, an alto, a soprano. You you are who you are, and you lend what your your part is, and we can make harmony out of that. And so, and that's what will um will create unity is through harmony. So, but anyway, that's just my own personal take. But yes, here at BYU Hawaii, where we have students from over seventy different countries, we have that ethnic diversity that we have here. Opens the door to more diversity of thought, and, um, and people have to have more patience. Um, under President Tanner, we used to have about uh, people from the American mainland and 40% international, but he flipped it to 60% internationals to 40% from the mainland. And so now it's kind of interesting for people from the mainland, like, or Utah, when when we get a big batch of them, they now get to experience what it feels like to be a minority culture. And, and it's, it's a, and, and so everybody has to adopt this mentality of like, I need to broaden my views. If you, if you don't broaden your views and, and, and get used to taking in some new perspectives, you're not going to make it a BYU-Hawaii. It's not that it's toxic, but it's just like, it'll be hard to challenge the way that you perceive the world if you, if you don't open up um, to new ideas.
0: That was golden on harmony through diversity and just the difference between unity and diversity and harmony through diversity. That was really golden. Oh, thank and, you. That's
1: what, that's what happens from a choir teacher.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. A talk of, I'd love to have you talk about your own story, your own, the typical podcast stuff we do um, right up front that we're doing this. I love getting that part of the story out. So now tell us your own story of coming to terms with your sexual orientation. And I will say, Ben Shalati, I read a blog post. It was kind of interesting. He says, I don't call it my sexual orientation. I just call it my orientation. Oof. Um, and he just said, cause if we call it just our sexual orientation, it kind of adds that narrative. This is just all about sex. And he says, it's not about sex. It's just how I'm oriented towards men emotionally to more men. When I want to hang out to men in conversations, that may not be your experience, but reading that, I thought that was really helpful. So I don't want to tell Ben's story on your podcast. So you go for it. Yes, eh? You
1: could talk about Ben all you want. He just did, uh, um, actually asked vice president Kyle to say, Hey, can we bring Ben Chalati over or pop Osler? And, 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 and he's like, I'll see what I can do. And, and, and just a a couple of days ago, Ben just did a podcast, uh, a podcast, uh, uh, zoom meeting with the BYU management society. And so, but Ben and I have a lot in common and, um, I love what you shared there about orientation because the term sexual orientation is very limiting. Um, but yeah, let's dive in. This is the part. I'm so I'm so used to hearing other people's stories. I'm not used to telling my own in, in its completeness. And so I had to put some timestamps on here. I have some notes. I'll, I'll try not to. Um, Uncle Richard, just slow me down. Stop me if, if I'm going too fast from a thought or if you want me to move ahead. Um, I
0: think you need to tell the story pretty thoroughly. So I think it'd be good for listeners to hear this. So go for okay. it. But don't rush it.
1: Okay, yeah. Slow so me down if you feel the pace picking up. Yeah. All right. So, I f- I first realized that I was different to, the, to go with that theme that we've always talked about here on this and then love is. I realized that I was different in elementary school. By about 2005, I was in fifth grade, and I had to come face to face face with it. We have a a, a Hawaiian summer camp that takes place at Kamehameha High School over here on Oahu, and um, and which is just basically a Hawaiian cultural immersion camp, and we have to dorm there, and um, and the, and there are group showers, and I won't go into too much details about that, but you can infer what that did to me of, of just like the fear of want, not wanting to go in there like it and the the natural things that happen um, when uh when you are attracted to the same sex it's just it was an absolutely horrific traumatizing experience for me i'm like okay this is not going away i don't know what to call this i i like boys i just this is shocking and to this day like the smell of irish spring soap just takes me to that moment. Uh, it's still, it still haunts me, but that was where I first came face to face. Like, okay, I have this thing and it is different from everybody else that's in the showers because they all, they're all fine jumping in the showers, except me. And, um, and so that was, that was the first time I really came face to face with it. But Thanks
0: for being so I, honest. That's pretty courageous just to be that honest. So thank you for that.
1: Well, fifth, I, I'm grade, sure
0: that- fifth grade kind of aged put you an age on you and I can't remember how old fifth graders are. So tell us how old they are.
1: 10 years old, 10, uh, but I I probably had a hunch. I was different about a year or two before that, but that was the first time I like, Whoa. Okay. That's good. Uh, Then if I can jump ahead to middle school, like I said, I didn't have a term for this, but living in California in 2007, we had this wonderful sarcastically thing that we call proposition eight that came out. And um, which was about the uh, trying to legalize gay marriage in California, and so we got those the the letters to the church uh, for members of the church to to defend marriage. uh, Would people be willing to take up signs or do door knocking? And and what that was the first time I ever heard the term gay before. Made it all the way to to middle school and not. I, I knew I was different, but I didn't know what gay was. And then I see on the news I, ne- I can never forget this is the the and you can probably youtube it is it's the lgbtq community protesting in front of the newport beach temple and the los angeles temple in big numbers and then there's the members of the church on the other side with their um uh i think it's yes on eight um to ban gay marriage and and so like here i am i'm trying i'm i also gotta add i'm trying to Bring my family back to church i feel the spiritual need to come back to church um and so i'm trying to bring my family back to church as a middle schooler we were inactive at that time and i want to be a good mormon boy and then i then i see these people protesting in front of the temples and i realize i am like those people that are protesting on the outside of the temples and but i am a religious person and i want to be a good mormon boy and so i'm porn. And so I doubled down on spirituality and I therefore labeled the, the LGBTQ community as an evil group of people. This is against God. And which is, in, in my, that's what I thought at the time. I'm very different now. Um, but like, that's how I reasoned it in my mind. And um, I, it, it, it was an expression of, it, was, it mirrored the internal war within myself. And so I therefore called that section of me evil. And this must be suppressed at, at all costs and and that's where I was for from 2007 middle school till I graduated in 2012 it's just this 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 really hard dissonance between um being gay and in the church because I want to be a good mormon boy and I but I don't want to be like the people protesting in front of the temple um and so if I can skip ahead to 2012 now, that's my senior year of high school, uh, 2011, 2012. And um, that is where I, ha- I I come across a crush of mine. I'll call him Chance. I was in a biology class and um, I thought he was cute. And I eventually became came, became friends with him. And he, some one day, uh, decides to come out to me and tell me that he's gay. And all of a sudden like from 2007 to now 2011, that's four or five years. What goes through my mind is, but wait, you're not evil. (laughs) Like that. It just didn't make sense to me. Like, yeah, here's, and and yet I, I'm still trying to suppress the feeling that I I like him. I think that he's cute. And so like, I so I'm just frozen in that moment. And then he decides to tell me his story of being gay. And once again, another trigger warning friends, um, he, it's, a, it's a tragic story, is that Ch- Chance um, was in a place called Apple Valley, uh, inland, and he had the courage one day to come out to his parents. And that day, his dad flew into a rage and some terrible things happened that evening. And he went to bed sobbing. But when he woke up the next morning, Chance found out that his dad had shot and killed himself Um, that night. And he no longer has a father. And that is what brought chance over to my school is his mom had to re- relocate. And that is where I, things really started changing for me. That was where I, I really had to challenge my, like how I perceived the LGBTQ community because chance did nothing wrong. He, he had the courage to tell his parents that he had these attractions and, and now he has to live with his dad's death for the rest of his life. It's always going to be intertwined. And he did not deserve that. And so that was the first time I, I, I had ever considered that being gay wasn't an evil thing. That was a big, nobody could be as homophobic as I was to myself. Nobody which is why I can handle a lot of homophobic stuff pretty well, because I was pretty nasty to myself. And so that, that was, that was the shock that I needed to to get hit with in order to, to realize that chance is a beautiful child of God. And he didn't deserve that. Hello emotions. And also let me add a little bit of my own personal um, vulnerability to this. And that is, Going through this, this level of immers- emotional turmoil, I, I had to take the anger out somewhere. And, I'll, and I will share that I took my anger out on my two younger brothers. I would Today, in my own words, if I were to describe what I was, I was an emotional abuser to my brothers. I'm the oldest of three boys. And I would make them feel stupid. I would make them feel embarrassed about things because that's what, how I felt about myself. And so, like, I, I was just a, I was just a piece of work at that time, especially middle school and, and high school I was just not the best. Um, fun fact: There's a, and just to lighten the load, I do it does get better between me and my brothers. I'll talk to, talk about that later. But, but at that time, I, I have I had we had a very very poor. Relationship, but being good for Polynesian kids and and churchgoers, we knew how to make it look good in front of uh, <laughs> our uh, our ward stakes and family. But uh, but underneath, man, it was it was terrible. So if I can fast forward over to 2013, now it's now been a year since I have graduated, and it's time to do the mission. Why? Because my dad did a mission. It's time for me to serve a mission. I love God. I'm dedicated to Him, and. And I made the deal folks. I'm one of those people who made the deal. If I serve this mission, God, I'm going to be the best darn missionary you ever had in return. You, you make this whole gay thing go away. I'm just going to, um, Blakey Packer says the, the study of, uh, doctrines will change behavior faster than the study of behavior will change behavior. So I, I went into like extreme doctrinal mode. My, my, I, I served One speaking in New Zealand. My One wasn't that great because I was spending so much time trying to study away the gay, it was just so rigorous, and 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 me being me, um, trying to get the gainers to go away, was overzealous. And um, I can confidently say that I was the I was that self righteous district leader that so many people talk about and like shake their head about when the, that they had on their mission. I was that guy. I was so self righteous. I did not know what righteousness was. Um, it was not until the end that of my mission I had. Um, Elder Brunt, Elder Brunt, um, who just who loved on me, and it's like, hey, how's your brother? He's serving in Peru. Like, tell me how he's doing. And he just exemplified love and what that looks like. And I just had this big hit in the brain. Like, is that what I was? I'm supposed to be doing this whole mission? Is that what people say that when you're supposed to love and care for people? And I had realized I missed the <laughs> I missed the whole. I The whole idea, I'm very glad that I, I, I had him come into my life and exemplify that, which was going to be a theme in, in my story is that's the only way I learned is hard lessons and people actually showing it to me. And so that was a very, very big moment for me. Um, but yeah, I, I was definitely one of those people trying to chase the gale o- away on the mission. Um, do you have any questions? You're just doing
0: years. a good job of being really honest and vulnerable and connecting the dots about your relationship with your younger brother and recognizing that was more about you. And that gives us all more empathy to understand situations and try to get to the bottom of the iceberg. Um, no one's used the term study the gay way. Um, you just used it kind of casually, but um, I thought it was pretty good. I think you're praying the gay way too in there, but you're studying the gay way and, um, and I. I'm glad I think you served a great mission and you just doing you can just tell how committed you are to trying to do the best you can with what you understand at the time and thanks for serving a mission and there's a lot of people that are better because of you and and it sounds like your younger brother end up maybe you'll talk about this but he's on a mission at this point so I think this thing you mentioned about you were trying to kind of get your whole family back to the church I don't know if that happened for everybody in your family that maybe is a different story but it sounds like in the middle of all this, you've got more family that's connected to the church, including obviously you. But, yeah, I'd love you to um, talk. Just keep telling. I assume once you got home from your mission, you're going to get married to a woman and you start <laughs> yep. to date. Yep. Because it's, 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 it's
1: the, then coming back, to the, to coming back home and realizing that the gay has not gone away is a whole other layer of, of undiagnosed depression. Uh, of, and But I have to, okay. So if that didn't work, if the mission didn't make the gay go away, time to start dating girls. And I, I would date girls. And I, I, you know, actually, I remember being in high school and I, I remember dating a girl named Brie. And this was such a crazy moment for me because we're on this date in the backyard. We're watching a movie with a projector on the wall and popcorn, the whole thing. It's just going so well. We're we're great friends. And she's like, you know what? Yes. Dating has just been so hard for me. Like, because can I be honest with you? I'm like, yeah, sure. Talk to me. And she's like, every guy that I I have dated seriously ended up being gay. Like, honestly, like, is that people will only date me to use me as a mask to hide the fact that they're gay. And there's just like, I am that person in this moment. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and that, that ties to what, what happens in 20, 2015 to 2018. I'm, I'm the elders quorum president. I come out to my Bishop who God bless him, let me have therapy on on either his dime or the tithing i can't recall i i don't know i but he let me have therapy for about three years with a, a wonderful man named steve pomfrey who taught me the importance of deep emotional connection um being the priority over sexual connection and uh to be honest i think steve pomfrey probably thought i was a, a failed uh <laughs> therapy uh, individual but um because I don't think it was clicking for me until later, until after, but um, I decided to, well, I was working at the church bookstore at the time. Sorry, I'm mixing all these thoughts together. I was working at Desert Book and um, I wanted to help people find answers through the doctrine. And so I, I love to help people come, become with problems like, Hey, I'm struggling with this or I have my husband needs this. And I'm like, what book should I get? I'm like, great. That's my favorite thing. And I'd help them find the thing. And one of those days I helped, I helped help this girl named who I, I'll, call Vanessa and uh, she liked me and she decided to uh, work at Deseret Book, get a job there for a chance to date me. And uh, I did. Um, uh, we ended up dating. Uh, she ended up coming to my college to take a music theory class. We had class together. And I remember holding her hand and just walking into church. This is a to use uh, David Archuleta's term. This is more like a, a business relationship with uh, uh that I had with her, and so here we are. It's time to time to go to church. I hold her hand. I see the bishop smiling with me at me. I see everybody smiling at me. Everybody, I am doing the thing that everybody expects me to do. The only person that wasn't happy was me. Um, and so one day, that I, I realized I had to break up with her, and uh, but I couldn't come out to her because I had not come out to myself yet. I had all this time. I have not I have not said to myself, "Yes, you are gay," and it's not going away. Um, I have same sex attraction but I have not come to terms with it um, that it's not going away. And so I couldn't come out to her, but I, that night, it was after our our music theory class, it's like 10 o'clock at night. It's in the ghettos of Santa Ana by the Institute building. And I tell her we have to break up and she just, it broke her heart. It just, it absolutely ruined her. I can still see her because it was like the movie drama. It starts raining and like, you know, the mascara and the whole thing. And she's just, wrecked and i did this to her i was using uh, for this is just for me like i and as i look back at it i'm using this woman as a ticket to get to the celestial kingdom which is like one of the most sexist things i've ever done Uh, uh, because that's uh, that's how my brain was categorizing it is i was i i have to do this thing so i can socially be accepted and so i can get to this and I that was I could I realized at that moment that I can't do this to a woman again. That I, I just cannot. She did not deserve that. And I and she didn't deserve to be led on. And so I've I still haven't had the courage to contact her. Maybe someday she'll hear this podcast and we can have that conversation. But that guilt still still haunts me. Um so that's something that that that's a part of my story. And from there. I needed a new start and, and, uh, revelation kicked in and it's like, yes, it's time to, uh, move to Hawaii, go do some research on some Hawaiian music, uh, out there. We'll do just a temporary stint and you'll come back and you'll transfer to Cal State Fullerton. Uh, but God had other plans, but, um, but, but I did end up flying out to, to Hilo, um, in, uh, 2018, uh, where my mom originally grew up and I moved in with my grandparents, but, uh, but before going to Hawaii, do you have any thoughts?
0: Just, y- you have really good vocabulary to describe your situation. Um, and um, a lot of empathy for this woman who was in love with you and you, David Archuleta does, you referenced him as some, um, some similarities to your story. You were kind of fulfilling a role that society, the church culture wanted you to fulfill. And it just wrecked her. I think you used that term and it yeah. was no fault of her own. And it just added to your own burden that you couldn't, that who you are just couldn't, couldn't, you couldn't make that work. And my heart just kind of opens up for you when I hear this story. Um, Cause this is your intent here is to do the right thing. And um, it was just sort of outside of your control. I think it's unique. Your bishop sent you to therapy. Um, a lot of bishops may not do that. I, I think we need Jesus and a therapist and that may be a different podcast, but I think it's, I think and the therapy, I think you were pretty clear, wasn't to change your sexual orientation. It was to just give you better tools to, you know, to move forward. And a lot of my guests have had therapy not to change the orientation, just to give them tools to sort of get in a good emotional spot. Is that a fair recap of your therapy?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I got to say, one of the things that I learned is an emotional connection is this therapist would hug me for about 30 seconds to a minute at the end of every session. And I hated it. I was the worst thing. I'm not a physical touch person. I told myself, but by the end of that, I, 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 I now give like the best hugs. And, and I've, I, it was a journey of, of, having the courage to make connection and it was kind of expressed and symbolized through, through hugs. And so, yeah, this was not conversion therapy. I, I was hoping it would be, he had to tell me that it, this is not how this, this works. It's actually illegal. And, uh, but, um, but you do, whether you you choose to be with a man or a woman uh, emotional connection is where is your superpower as a, as a gay Latter-day Saint. You have the capacity and capability to make deeper connections because that is part of the package of being LGBTQ is, or, or being gay in my case. And he saw that in me when I was still that, that self-righteous, walls-up guy, and, 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 and uh, he, he opened the door for that.
0: It's really interesting. I'd love to go deeper on that, but I want to get you to Hawaii <laughs> And um, so it's May of 28. Um, I'm sort of a volcanic dude. I'm a meteorologist, nut, and I track Hawaiian volcanoes and understand a little bit of the science just to think I know something, but I really don't. But I think you move in May of 2018 during the eruptions. So just talk to us about your experience in Hawaii
1: yeah I, man it's, if you really think about it, it's like a symbol of my soul like my soul is erupting and then i moved to hawaii while there's an eruption and uh <laughs> and, and the sky is, is like is this amazing pink and purple out there and and so we would do like all sorts of like cleanups over there but down in uh, leilani estates that it's post-apocalyptic down there but that's that's the time that i moved out there and um I'm with my grandparents and I go to church on my own. My grandparents aren't members of the church. Um, very loving, wonderful human people, wonderful human beings, but they, they aren't members of the church. So I went to Institute and, and I made friends so quickly, faster than any time in my entire life. I did not know this was possible. Um, but going back to like elder Brunt on my mission, these members of the church taught me something that I needed to learn. And that is the, the Aloha spirit and the ability to to make connection and be vulnerable, and so like the way I describe it is like the difference between Aloha spirit and the mainland is that in the mainland we live in a way at least I'll just speak for living in California, Orange County, but we live in a way where people need to earn our trust before we let them in, and so everything is really shallow at the beginning. But in Hilo, in this YSA war branch, small YSA branch, drowned me in love and. Instead, the mentality there is like, "You are my friend, and I love you, unless you do something in the future that proves otherwise." But I love you, and they just let me in. I've I've made friends of my lifetime there, and it it and it was full of handsome, masculine, straight men who would hug me. They told me they loved me. They would cry with me. And ultimately they show me that you really can be masculine and still show heartfelt affection. And it's not a weak thing. And there's, there's, there's nothing gay or weak about and not to use the gay in a negative sense, but like, it's not, there's nothing wrong with making that kind of a connection. It was then that I first had the courage to tell one of my best friends who, who was the most secure named John Campbell, that I was gay because he's a spiritual powerhouse. And I remember being in his parking lot and I told this and, It was so scary, but he's like, I don't understand, but I love you. And I think there's a place for you here. And that risk paid off because he doubled down on love. We're still best friends to this day. And we have deep doctrinal spiritual conversations that could last four to five hours. We don't to this day. I'm so grateful for the people of the Hilo YSA branch and and that stake who showed me what what love looks like the way they, I learned the phrase, um, or I coined the phrase vulnerability is the price of intimacy. That, that is what I learned from them. That is what, that's what thats was the Aloha spirit that they embodied. And so that, that opened me up big time. And, but here's the thing is, I still have this rigid justice based, um, still semi-self-righteous in me. It still hasn't gotten out yet. I'm being loved. I'm, I'm learning. And so I, I end up getting an internship at the Kamehameha High School on this island as a assistant choir director and voice coach. Um, but my rigidity and my my insane, like like Javert from Les Miserables, my, my, my obsession with justice. Um, it didn't work out for me. And, uh, the, the choir director there, who was actually a member of the stake, um, had to fire me. And that, that was, that was one of the biggest turning points in my life because I made such a connection with a lot of these kids and I don't, I've been being gay. I'm not even sure if I'm ever going to have kids, you know, like, so it was like somebody took my children away from me in a day. It was like a Friday, like today's your last day working here. and this. To, to, turns me into this whole emotional, spiritual stumble of just trying to figure out who I am, what is mercy, what is grace. And I really, it was in those moments and going to the temple, working at the temple that I really come to know, know that God knew all the details of my life. <laughs> and I've come to know what it means to 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 rely wholly in, upon his merits, mercy, and grace. Um, I'm not perfect and i've and uh and no no amount of acting perfect is gonna make the gayness go away and it's not anything wrong, but my goodness, I am wholly dependent on him on my savior the being not the concept of Jesus Christ but Jesus Christ the person who actually walked this earth and died for my sins and that took me to took me there um okay and and from there um Now that I was finally put on the right spiritual path, the pieces are starting to fit. I'm conducting one of the state choirs. I drive to the bottom of the island to do a a rehearsal. I meet Teresa Myers-Ducre, who was impressed with my conducting. And she said, you know what? You need to go to BYU-Hawaii. I used to work there. My sister used to be the vice president. You have such a talent here you need to go to BYU, Hawaii. And in my mind, I'm like, BYU, Hawaii, the BYU, this is is the school system. I have made fun of my entire life. It was a family hobby. And I, I, (laughs) no, but but she, she insisted and she's like, Hey, if you, if you want to go, I can make the call. I know the guy who's in admissions and I'll, I'll put in a good word for you. If you, if you just fill out an application. So I filled out the application and even though I didn't have enough credits and I didn't have the associate's degree, I got, I got in and I began classes in May 19, 2019, not knowing what God had in store for me at BYUH. And like, like, like that's such a Nephi thing, like not knowing beforehand what, what, what to do. And so, but, but like I said earlier, like my very first room, my, of my roommate, one of my roommates, comes out to me as being gay. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I thought I was the only one. And that was like, how 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 did you plan this, God? How did you how did you get me into the one room with this one guy who would be able to come out to me? Um and then after that the first spring semester, I go back to Hilo for summer vacation and I I am now ready for God to teach me and to give me some instruction. And uh just doing the nightly prayers in one day. I just hit this, I get this jarring revelation that it was almost spoken, which never happens for me. To, to be honest, revelation normally for me is just using fair logic and reasoning. And if <laughs> that's, that's it, but I, I I got it this time and I was instructed to come out to my family. And that's the first thing. And the second instruction was to love and save my LGBTQ brothers and sisters at BYU Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is such a tall order. <laughs> It was so daunting. I'm like, well, but then, then like, okay, whom God calls, God qualifies. So if, if, if that's what you want, God, you're going to make this happen. I'll try. But, but I now had the courage to come out with my, to my family now because God gave me the approval, which isn't common in many stories, but that's my story. I was very lucky to get, to get that. And so in fall 2019, I go home to my my youngest brother now has returned from his mission. I'm coming to his to to his um his homecoming and I'm also using it at that time to come out to my family. And uh, uh and I told my dad on the car drive home like I'm gay. And, uh, and he's like, and he tried to fix me a l- little bit. And I was like, I just need you to gather the family. And I want to, I want to let them know. And I told them, I told my family and even my non-parent, my non-member grandparents were there. And, um, uh, and I, I re- distinctly remember my grandpa saying like, just follow what God tells you to do. If God tells you to do it, do something. And my mom, this is her non-member parents. And she's like, what is happening right now? She was more shocked than my grandpa is saying something <laughs> spiritual than, uh, than me coming out as gay. but uh, um but I, we, it was the next day after the of the coming out oh wait time out Before I going to that I, I gotta say that i also told my brothers like i hope you can all understand where that all that hate is coming from i was such a troubled kid and um oh. it doesn't excuse what i did and how i treated you but i hope this can i hope you can understand where it's coming from now and they forgave me on the spot. And to this day, the relationship I have with my brothers is stronger than it's ever been. My middle brother is here with me at BYU Hawaii. And my youngest brother is, and I, we we call all the time and we nerd out about all these different things. And so I, I, the relationship is stronger than I've ever known possible. I didn't know that it could, that, through the, through the lens of actually coming out that it would heal and, and create something so much more than I ever thought possible in our relationships. So that's where I'm at with my, my brothers, but I got to talk about my mom. And that is that um, we were walking the dogs the next day. And uh, my mom's a nurse, personal trainer, gym instructor, very, very strong, beautiful woman. And, um, and she had just finished training a client and we're walking the dogs and she's like, son, you know, I, after I was training my client, I broke down crying and I told, and I stopped her. I'm like, I know it's hard having a gay son. You don't, I know you have dreams and things like that. And she's like, no, it's not that you're gay. Well, kind of. I'm like, well, then what is it? And she's like, you don't understand what it's like to be a mother. And she's like, I, I'm thinking to myself, one was I so busy that I couldn't see my child was hurting and that he, he didn't feel comfortable enough to talk to me about this. And and the other thing is, because life is so hard already, and it's going to be so much harder for you, and I can't do anything about that, especially because you love the church so much. I I had no idea that that's how my mother would have perceived this situation. It wasn't about fallen dreams. It wasn't about, like, how, what are you going to do to our eternal family? It was just like, I, 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 why couldn't? you come to me and what, What? I can't do anything for your future. And so that, that, that was my, that was my coming out. And it was, I'm so privileged and so blessed to have had such a, a coming out. It is not the case of so many stories I've heard, but that was, uh, that was mine. Um, and then Just- that, that pretty much takes me up to, I know that's like uh, 2019, but the, what we talked about at the beginning, that brings me up to current. I do the coming out talk.
0: And Hold I, on. I'm right there for a second. Because um, I'd love you to talk about why you felt impressed to come out to your YSA ward. But that was another really golden segment. There's a bunch oh. of people with tears in their eyes. And I had a few. Just hearing that, you were really good at taking us into your story and sharing it. Thank um, you. I love your YSA ward branch and Hilo. And I just love um, the culture of that ward and how we, and you know this, how we need to create those kind of cultures in all of our wards. And you said something really, vulnerability is the price of intimacy. You also talked about they're going to love you until proven differently and how some of our cultures were going to kind of be a little hands off until we sort of figure out if you're going to stay at our ward for a long time or you really like us or you have the same political party. And. I just think that's Zion. You described Zion to me when you described that Hilo branch. Even though that Hilo branch is green and it's a beautiful climate, if that Hilo branch were in a cold climate, the way you described it, would still be Zion.
1: I also add, this is an interesting detail, is half of that ward or a branch was not partaking of the sacrament. And that sounds like a weird thing to bring up, but I think it's significant that the culture is so healthy there, that we we know everybody in the branch, and if you're not partaking in the sacrament, big whoop. We're glad that you're here, and I and it had me questioning: like, Is this what a, every ward should look like? About half of us not taking sacrament, but because God is a reality to us, we're we're going to um, not partake of the sacrament and go through the process that was so real for me, and so like that that adds to that culture is. The reality of God and testimony. If you are, if you need to not partake of the sacrament, it is safe to not partake of the sacrament. You are not going to get judged because there's half the half of the branches there with you, and we all go. We not everybody, but a good amount of us have a cycle. We all have a, ch- a time where we pass through that, uh, and so that was. I, I do want to add that to to the that the Zion mentality is that that that's what a, I think a branch could and should look like.
0: And it's back to your word of harmony, um, and unity through harmony, harmony, or harmony. I also love John Campbell. And I love that, um, you saw men that were kind, compassionate, um, showed emotion, were vulnerable. I think of Jesus when I think of John Campbell and the other men you described, including you, um, and just that culturally, we've sort of stereotyped men that this is how you have to be if you're a man. And I think that that word showed, you know, and that you felt comfortable enough to come out to John Campbell and, and he responded. And I love the word you used, double down on love, when you needed it, when you were vulnerable and opened up to somebody perhaps for the first time. And so... Um, You've given good shout-outs to people that have helped you along the way, but it helps all of us know how we should respond and how meaningful it is to you. Um, I love you giving shout-outs to people like Elder Brunt from your mission and just the examples, because it helps us know how best we can support. I love this wonderful woman that acted a higher impression to invite you to BYU-Hawaii and the doors that have been opened. I love the key part of this is you've been following personal revelation. And Heavenly Father has been talking to you and guiding you your entire life as, as you've been making your way forward. So I, I just love the Hilo YSA branch um, and the Zion that you felt there and how that's scalable to all of our cultures. But it's, it, we need that so that um, every Latter-day Saint can feel like they belong. You felt that from day, long, day one and you've helped other people. So now you're back at you're in a YSA ward and you're about ready to give a talk um, about so talk to us about that
1: that that's an interesting one I actually wasn't planning to go into too much detail on that but like I, I, like I need to do a coming out talk and uh, here's uh, and, and uh, one of our Bishop bishopric was a religion professor and so it had to be pass through him and the stake president um, to to make sure that everything's doctrinally sound and things like that. Now I know some people may be shaking their heads like this is micromanagement, but, but perhaps yes. But to, we need to understand that like, this is how it was explained to me is like the bishopric and the stake president is going to be sitting behind you. And so we want to make sure that we know what's being said so we can sit there confidently behind you. Cause if you start going off there we don't know, it, it's not going to look good for you. If you have a very nervous looking bishop or state stake president sitting behind you, you know, if we look on edge. So we want to make sure that we can support you that way. And maybe that was a, a, off the top of the head, excuse, but I bought it. I thought that was a great reason. And I, I felt very supported by them. And I had people come up to me after the words, after the, after the uh, meeting ended and, um, and just sister, uh, senior sister missionaries and, and, Husband coming to me and just like you, this is your calling. And thank you so much for being here. You're you're you're, you're meant to be here. And I met some um, closeted individuals that day as well. And 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 that off we after the races we went. Then then started just communicating with everybody. Um, yeah, and and I, I got to say that I did not get any rebuking or stink eyes to this day. To this day. I have not been maliciously prejudiced against it. It hasn't happened in my experience. I am openly gay all the time. Every, I th- I'd like to think everybody knows except for the new students, but everybody knows, but I have not received prejudice it, it directly. Or I, I don't hear people talking about that. If anything, I'm more worried about my friends. Like Some of my friends are being assumed that, that they're gay now because they hang out with me, but they're just like, like wow, I'm I trying to feel like what it's like to be you, and I'm like welcome. Uh, but it, but I've got to say, I've um, the only to- the only homophobic thing I've ever had happen to me is I had a, a roommate that was uh, uh, only one roommate that was pretty homophobic, and um, but other than other than that, um, Hawai'i has been so great to me. The it's it's I've I've been accepted. Oh, and I got I got to say I talked about one toxic roommate, but I do. I've lived in about five different housing units over my time here, since I got here. And in, uh, five of those housing units, I've always had at least one, possibly two, um, LGBTQ individuals where people were trying to figure things out. And so, um, yeah, that, that is, uh, sorry, that's the faucet because I'm in my dorm. Um, somebody's washing my hands. Um, that is what it's. Uh, the, my experience is that there, God kept on placing more people in my path in, in these units. But then I realized, like, maybe he's not just placing them in my p- path. It's just that there are more people than I ever imagined. <laughs> That's a mix of both. What do you think?
0: Good question. You've got a real feel for um, if you were to give kind of your gut check, your gut estimate of the number of the percent that are at BYU-Hawaii that are somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum, do you feel comfortable giving sort of an estimate of what you would guess based on your experience?
1: Gosh, we have a student population around about 2,800. There's been research done at BYU-Provo, and if I were to just copy and paste that number to Hawaii, I want to say it's it's about a quarter, um, which I think is high from the people that I've met but I've only met with people that are comfortable to talk about it. I don't really go out to people like, Hey, are you gay? It's only for people who, who have the courage to talk to me, but um, yeah, I would say I think going back to your document, uh, like at least five to six members per ward sounds just right to me um, over here, but with, with the research at BYU, it may be, it may be more and, and yeah.
0: You know, you took us to some interesting countries, what it's like to be Latter-day Saint in a Muslim country. And you. And so I sometimes hear people say, well, this is kind of a sign of the last day and um, people getting confused into being LGBTQ. But I think you do a good job of just people can accept this part about them that they could never possibly even consider in the past, given their culture, given their family situation. And... I think it's good that just like you're doing better, I think, because you've accepted this part about you and you're able to bless people. And this is part of the way you're blessing people, that it's a good thing to accept this part about you. Um, it's, it's how heavenly your heavenly parents created you. And so they seem to be accepting of this part about you. So you accepting it doesn't mean that everybody's closet needs to come out and do. That's one of the things I invite listeners is don't make your story your story. Um, Write your own story, but there's principles and perspectives that helped you write your story. I love you coming out and you use this word, and I can't remember if I already mentioned this, um, through the lens of coming out, how it blessed your family. Um, So you coming out was one of your finest family moments, I think. And the way it brought your family together and reconciled your brothers and you were able to understand what was going on in your life, and they knew something was going on in your life. And when you just described your relationship with your brothers, and you've all got each other's backs, you're all three return missionaries. Your mother, whose heart kind of was sad for you because you went through this road alone. But to me, this is one of the finest family moments. And your grandparents chiming in, who aren't even of our faith, um, about their feelings about your future. Um to me this is there's good fruit that often happens when someone comes out and it, since in your case it seems like there's only good fruit that's happening since you've come out. Um not only for you personally emotionally spiritually but also with all the lives you've impacted for good and and the increased unity and harmony to use that word that's present in your own family. Um so talk about um just where you are right now and any you're graduating in April. Talk about your future. Anything you want to talk about in this closing segment or anything you've just that's come to mind you want to make sure you share?
1: Um, great. Um yeah, I I'm I'm graduating with that that bachelor's in music and uh, and um a teaching credential. I graduated in April. Um the question you often ask people do you intend to date is like um for me, for Yester Wilson, as of today, um in January, <laughs> I, the answer is Absolutely, I I need to find out if this is me and my my own heart, it, and, and I'm so tired for um, for falling for people in, in situations where they they don't love me back, whether they're closeted or they're straight. It's just like how much more um, falling for people that won't love me back do I have to go through? It's hard going to be like, well, there's very, very many beautiful people from very many countries. And it's, it's a lot, it's hard. And I do, I, I need to find out if that's me. Um, if I, and I want to know what it means to be loved and to be in love. That, that is, I, I need to know as a, as a musician, as a singer, as a performer I sing and perform so many things about love. It's the main topic of, of the arts. And yet I, here I am not, uh, not, uh, not in a relationship way, like a familial way. Yes. Like if we, if we go into the different words for love in Greek, like I, I've only, I don't know the intimate relationship version of love and I want to, to know that and then make some decisions once we, once I get there. But um, so, yeah, i today. Oh, and then I'm uh, right now I'm, I'm actually in the mode of panic because I have an audition for University Hawaii Manoa where I, it's, I have a whole audition that will go from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. to try to uh, become a, a master's student of conducting over there. And so hopefully I can get get in there. If I don't get into UH Manoa, then I, I'd be happy teaching at a teaching choir for the rest of my days at a high school so long as I can afford to live um, hopefully in Hawaii. And, give, give back to my Polynesian people, uh, brothers and sisters here. Um, if, um, do you have anything, any thoughts before I start like going to, you know, the typical testimony mode at the, at the end?
0: I just honor your path. You know, I, I was, um, the Salt Lake Tribune, um, wrote a story today about David Archuleta and I was quoted in that it's a Salt Lake newspaper in Salt Lake. And, um, I praise David Archuleta, just like I would you, for being honest, real, and vulnerable. Um, just like you, you have a gift of putting feelings to your words. Um, when also responds to LGBT Latter-day Saints wondering about their future, he invites them to follow church teachings. But he also gives them space to, to self-determine their best path forward and tells them, and I'll support them and I'll walk with them, which is, I believe, what Jesus would do. And when someone's path changes, such as being gay and celibate in a same-sex relationship, we shouldn't look at them as the hero one day and the villain the next day. They're the same beloved children of heavenly parents doing their best and deserve our unconditional love and support. So you, you know how I feel that way. I, yeah. As you kind of talk about your future, I just, you have, I just trust you. You have been following your heavenly parents' personal revelation for you, and I will just continue to trust that you know best your path forward, and you've been really thoughtful. You're 28. You've had a lot of experience and a lot of maturity, and I think you're your best self to make these kind of decisions that you've ever been. Look where you are emotionally. Look where you are with your family. Look at what you've accomplished in coming out, the people you're helping, what you've done at BYU-Hawaii. So, I think you're the best position to make decisions about your future. And that's partly me talking to you as a friend, but also talking to listeners and looking at your story and saying, well, maybe before I decide my future, I need to just really get on the very best spiritual, emotional foundation. And even though I'm worried about my future, I may not need to decide my future right now. And you maybe are a little more of a crossroads where that fork in the road that you've talked about dating men. Is becoming more of a reality in your life, given you're graduating from BYU-Hawaii, and and so I think you're just doing a good job navigating this, and you just deserve our cons- constant love and support, and to just to trust you that you know your best path forward, and we're gonna walk with you, um, and trust you, and just know that you're with God, and it's not, and it, that's our job as Latter-day Saints. To me, that's creating harmony. Um, and supporting people and that culture of your Hilo YSA ward where you should always feel welcome in a Latter-day Saint contribution, congregation. Um, and I Thank love you. your dreams about your, what you want to do professionally. Isn't it cool that you're coming out of college full of hope for your future? That is a great thing to have. That's one of the greatest gifts we can give each other is hope. And you are full of hope. And part of that, perhaps, is just the hard things you've accomplished and the twists and turns your life has taken you. Um, I don't think if I had met you in Orange County at age in junior high, you could possibly imagine um, in a million years, this is where you would be right now and the things you've accomplished. And it's, it's fun sometimes this is for you, but for all of us to look back. And just if we get discouraged or down or wonder and just recognize, wow, if I really go back and look at my younger self, um, that gives me confidence that the next period of time can be equally as hopeful and helpful. And so, you know, you still have some unknowns about your future, but I think you have a foundation to know that that will unfold for you as it needs to unfold. Um, So. Yeah, I'll turn it back to you just for more thoughts, closing thoughts.
1: Oh goodness, the closing thoughts. But thank you so much, Uncle Richard, for um all that you just said there and the that the validation that I feel is, is so genuine and I, and I I need to hear that. <laughs> um, I'm normally the person giving it and so it's it's a very special moment for for me to have that thank you um i remember i wanted to make sure that i brought this up we said we one time we talked uh, over zoom i remember bringing up this quote that i came across of um, i watched this video of judge judy um, <laughs> who i don't really watch but i came across it and she was asked a lotus loaded, loaded question about feminism now this is neither either for or for against feminism but it's just the principle that i want to extract from it uh and so because apparently the lady was asking you're not a feminist and uh, and, and uh She goes into her own story, and then she says this golden phrase, something to the effect of, um, you're right, I'm not a feminist. I'm an individualist. I believe that every individual has the capability to become the hero of their own story. And whether that is factually true or not for other people in their lives, that's a mentality that I adopt, is... uh, we have, I've been given a un- unique circumstance. I've been given some dr- different types of dragons to slay throughout my journey of life. And, and I'm going to continue to get dragons, but, uh, but what, how, how lucky am I to have such an adventurous life? That's <laughs> that I can't, I don't have the, the privilege of just sneaking by life. I I, I have to van- vanquish it. I don't want to use war terms, but I have to, to, to progress and, uh, and, and, and find a way to be the hero of the story for myself, not for acclaim, not for other people, if, if anything, for for he who who empowers me. And and that is Jesus Christ. I I love my Savior so much. I'm so dedicated to him and my heavenly father. Now, but let me, I gotta also say that I, I love now being gay. I, I I get together with some um, open and caused um, individuals on campus and we will watch. um <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. What are called BL series or boy love series from Thailand and the Philippines, and then uh, there are these beautiful stories that are uh, that tell stories like ours, and we will all sit together and we'll laugh and we'll cry together and we'll all swoon over the hot guy and the really cute scenes. And 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 that's not an evil thing. It's a beautiful thing. And and, and we've all come so far to have this wonderful moment, but that moment doesn't take away from the love that I have for Jesus Christ. I'm a passionate Sunday school teacher. I love teaching about the gospel. I, the way I'm, for me, the way that Yester Wilson stays active in the church is I have three boxes in my head. I have the, the doctrine box, which is like, I with the exception of like, I don't know how I'm going to get to the celestial kingdom. Other than that doctrine, I, I, but my doctrine Box is so clean and pure, and I love it so much. Abrahamic covenant, gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole shebang. I I, I love it so much. But then we have the other two boxes, which I which are policy and um, culture. That is where a heavy amount of my my issues lie, and so it's been so helpful to me to to look at situations like: is this something that a cultural thing that my church leader has said, or a friend has said, is this a policy that could possibly change like, as policies have always changed in the church? Um, that's, that's just how I categorize it in my brain, but I, I am not a cultural member of this church. Um, I, it, it'll be very common. You'll notice if you see me at church, I don't wear a white shirt and tie very often. Um, Unless we're doing a word choir performance and it's kind of, it's kind of rebellious. It's not really rebellious. I don't want to be rebellious, but it's, it's a, it's a symbol for me. I don't want to wear the white shirt and tie because that's a, it's a, it's a cultural thing. I could go in Hawaii, we wear aloha shirts to church and that's fine. Uh, and I can, I can meet my maker in this shirt and and not feel like judged by God. Like it's it's a cultural thing. And so I, I I do it as a symbol that I am not a cultural member of this church. I am here for the relationship I have with the deity that I know as my heavenly father and my savior Jesus Christ. I am here for them. I am dedicated to them. I am covenant bound to them. I I love them so much and I will do all that's in my power. I would like to say that's I don't know this for sure. This is all on the in the future and I don't know what the future holds but if if I marry a man and I get excommunicated in the church, I'd like to think that I will still be there in, in the pews and um, even contributing to Sunday school if I have a spiritual answer. And they're going to have to drag me out. They're going to have to, like, I think in Dr. Cummins, it's the deacon's job to, or teachers to drag me out. They're going to have to do that to, <laughs> to keep me from sharing my testimony. But I don't know. It's all fun and gesture and fun playing my brain. But I am here for him. I'm here for my brothers and sisters and I want to make a safer place for all of us. So we don't, um, we don't have as much trauma as, as, as so many of us have gone through in the stories that I've heard. Um, yeah. That's all I have to say. I wish I, I could have been more eloquent, but
0: you're very, you eloquent. Richard. Um, I hope our listeners caught, even though. It's a big deal about your future if you marry a man and realizing you could be excommunicated or membership withdrawn. And that's a reality of your possible future. And even though you um, talked about that, it's a, it's a sobering thought. And somebody so gifted and talented and contributing so much to the cause that that is something you face. Obviously, a 28-year-old on the podcast straight doesn't face any of that. Um, as he makes his way forward as a Latter-day Saint. So it just builds empathy and compassion. And I pray for our leaders that I, uh, my feeling is I don't know Heavenly Father's will and I'm not a leader of the church, but we're not at the finish line on creating the best possible path for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I could hypothesize or guess or wonder, um, but I just know that you should be my feeling is the gospel of Jesus Christ should be creating the same experience for you as it would be for straight people. And your mother shouldn't have mothers of gay children, shouldn't have any fear about the future of their gay children, just like they don't have the future of their straight children. So to me, we just have more work to do, listeners. And I, my invitation is let's see what we can do in our circle of influence to improve things. I know if you were married to a man and walked in that Hilo YSA branch, I guess you could. You'd be married. (laughs) It's technically a YSA branch, but I don't think they'd sort of um, not make you welcome either because you're married or married to a man. I think they just welcome you. And I think we need to make sure that everybody feels welcome in the congregation. There should be no belief or behavior hurdle, and everybody should welcome. It should be a judgment-free zone for everybody who wants to come and worship Christ. So. You were also very unique and maybe the most unique of any of my guests, just being in the most circles. And I mean that with um, just all the cultural circles you're in because your cultural heritage, the places you've lived, the mission you've served, all the different people you've connected with outside of, and then I could just end there and say you're straight, but you've had all those, but then you're not straight. So you're in these, all these other circles. And I just think You know, someday you look back as your old, old self at 50, 60, 70 and recognize this foundation of being all these circles has allowed your whole life mission to happen, which I think is only at chapter one and two with what you saw happen at BYU Hawaii. I think what BYU Hawaii is a template for the rest of your life that's possible because of all these circles you're in and all these life experiences that give you the perspective, the tools, the understanding, just to be able to relate and connect with and bring together. You know, We need people that are gatherers, not sifters. And you're a big-time gatherer <laughs> and just have a unique life ahead of you. And so it's an honor to have you on the podcast. You've become a friend over the last couple of years. You're doing such good work, and I'm so glad finally we did this podcast. And <laughs> um, So... Um, this, we'll just sign off. This is Richard Osler and Jesse Wilson signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.